and gentlemen, and welcome to Bethel Radio Hour, where Bible study and radio collide. Tonight in our segments, we will be covering the impetus for the book of Ephesians, major Bible influencers, and the beginning of our talks about racial healing. I am Molly Kingston, your producer and four chair panelist. On my left and first chair, we have Pastor Ben Kingston. Dad, what is the dumbest way you have been hurt in 30 seconds or less? The dumbest way I have been hurt? Yeah. Uh, taking too seriously what a former pastor said about me when I talked about entering into a revival ministry. Uh, he said, well, uh, you'll, you'll starve, basically. And uh, I took that way too seriously. He was trying to be funny. Oh, you're talking about emotional pain. Okay, good. Oh. There, no, I like it. Next. Is there any other? <laughs> <laughs> the, most, the most painful kind here. You're doing it now. Next to Dad is sitting in the second chair is Dr. Gavin Hooks. Same question to you, Uncle Gavin. What is the dumbest way you've been hurt, physical, emotional, or mentally? <laughs> uh, this has been physical. Uh, there, there, there are others that apply, but I was swinging on an I-beam in my basement and flipped over backwards and broke my right arm. So oh, for crying out loud. My brother's like, are you hurt? Are you hurt? Yeah, I think my arm's broken. My, my <laughs> Went to the angle? <laughs> in my bone it's not supposed to be like that but you felt really cool for about three seconds while you were flipping I bet yeah, did someone not. help probably you get not. to the beam <laughs> yeah, or did so you have a low you had a ladder stairs. you had a low yeah, ceiling yeah. And any other person probably would have just dropped on the feet <laughs> Oh, and our last panelist is usually Ryan Mayberry, but he is absent tonight, and subbing for him is Emma Anderson. She is coming in from Hannibal. Would you like me to say Hannibal? Um, and she is, we know her through Benjamin Kingston. So, to Emma, same question. Dumbest, dumbest uh, way you've hurt yourself. Okay, Gavin, you inspired me. <laughs> Playing softball, center field, high one. I'm running, I'm running, I'm running. I catch it. And then I smack my face into the chain link fence. <laughs> Fall on the ground, I can't move, dead like a fish, toss the ball up to the left fielder, and then I lay there until this pregnant AT comes waddling out. And then I feel a little bit better because she's in a much worse position than I am. Buck it up. Awesome. Are you going to tell us your... Yeah, oh you no, skip. That's, I get the privilege oh, of not... Okay. No, I'm just kidding. I, right. I was thinking the dumbest way that I think I got hurt was I was on... I had those shoes that had the wheels in them. I think they're called oh, Heelys now. I don't think oh, I wow. called them Heelys when I had them. Um, but I was I going around. It was now. it was during one of the watch parties for the Super Bowl at Bethel, and I was running yes. around the basement, and I went under a table, and I grabbed the edge and pulled the table down onto my fingers. I didn't we break them, the but, ER. I, but I jammed them. Yeah, Ruined the Super Bowl party, but nonetheless. Totally ruined the party. Yeah, I, I don't think they won that year, year either. Um, no, that was. I think that was the year we won it all. Oh, well, there you go. Okay, so... That was, that's the intro. Don't forget that if you are sitting in our live audience, you can text the number on the screen. Which is my number. Which is his number. Um, that will be updated to mine soon, too, as well. And then also, if you are listening online, don't forget to like, share, or comment. It helps us and encourages us. Also, um, it increases interaction with us, and we, um, we encourage that. Awesome. So let's jump into our first segment, which we're going to be covering Acts 19, um, leading us into Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. All right. So uh, we're going, we're looking at Acts chapter 19, as she said. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this in the segments so that you can get an idea of all the different things that was going on uh, to basically 
it gives the backdrop of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 stands alone, if you will, in the uh, theology of who we are in Christ. But when you understand the backdrop of the history that these Ephesians had just went, the Ephesian Christians had just went through, it gives all sorts of even more meaning as far as I'm concerned. So uh, when Paul entered Ephesians, um, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Of course, John uh, was the forerunner of uh, Jesus. And so they, John was pushing the baptism of repentance, which is what they're fixing to say here. Uh, then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. Now, we're not going to go into the depths of this other than to oh, simply say, oh, come on. well, we don't have time. Mm -hmm. But to simply say that this is one of three times where the Holy Spirit, if you will, is prayed down to the Jewish uh, nation, uh, the Israelites. Certain denominations and groups of people try to use this as ammunition for the second blessing or, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In reality... The Jews were scattered, and they were basically in three different communities of the world at the time, and all three communities had their baptism of the Holy Spirit, which uh, started, of course, on the day of Pentecost, and th the biggest group of Jews were there, and this happens two other times. I believe Paul was present in both of those other times. So that's basically the explanation that, that no... The Bible's not trying to teach that you get saved at one point and then you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit later. Once the Bible was finished, every person that received Christ received the Holy Spirit at the same time. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1 is going to prove that uh, in verse 13. So, the second segment. He went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, who's in the synagogue? Anybody know? The Jew Jews? The Jews. Jewish leaders, the men of That's the right. community. It's not Gentiles. Now, they can, they can stand on the outside, but, but, but it, it's the Jewish leaders that are in the synagogue. Well, what is he doing? He's arguing with them. Mm -hmm. Why is he arguing with them? Because he's preaching the gospel. He's and preaching the gospel, preaching and, the and they're in the Torah, they're in Judaism and the such. This so, must have been a whole different format, but could you, could you imagine somebody coming and say, hey, I want to contend with you about what you believe in? Well, we wouldn't allow it. Well, and not at, even at, just someone, at, but someone they used to look up to right. and respect. Right, 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 because Paul was one of them. That's yeah. exactly right. So uh, he's bring, bringing, if you will, a strange gospel. Uh, and so then he says, but when divers were hardened and believed not. Now, divers simply means diverse people. So when diverse Jews 
were hardened in their heart, then they believed not. They just said, nope, not for me. But spake evil of that way, and of course we know that the Christian movement was called the way, uh, now we start to see there's some trouble happening. But when that, uh, they spake evil of the way before the multitude. So now they've went outside of their synagogue and they're chirping to anybody that will listen, Paul is messing us up. So, and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. So now this is spilled over into the schools, if you will, of Ephesus that were teaching Judaism and the such. And now they're arguing. Now, this is interesting. And this continued by the space of two years. Yeah. So this goes on a while. And I mean, I, I can assume that the arguments were getting more heated more people were saying, well, I, I agree with Paul. And more people were saying, well, I agree with Tyrannus, you know, in, a, in such of that nature. So that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So even though there's a bunch of negative stuff going on, it's really producing some good results. Any comments before we go any further? Because I'm trying to get through Acts in 19 quickly. Many so. of the cities that Paul went to, this broke out. And there was a group of Jews that were following him around mm -hmm. to stir up mm -hmm. the crowds mm -hmm. in Yes. Ephesus is one of those that there was a contingent of Jewish men that followed him around just to cause trouble. Yes. Uh, we, we have seen that same phenomenon happen in America hmm. when a group of people decide we're shutting that down. Yeah. They, they go Cancel wherever culture. Ben Shapiro goes and they, and they shut him down. Uh, who was it that got shut down just the other day? It wasn't Candace, but it was another, uh, lib I'm sorry, another conservative speaker. She got shouted down. Uh, okay, and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Now, this is interesting. So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs and aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Literally, this is, again, before the Bible has been completed. We are still in the time of signs and miracles. And they will bring a handkerchief to Paul, He'll carry it around with him, and then he gives the handkerchief back to him, and then they take it to a sick person, and the evil spirits or the disease leaves because of the handkerchief. And it's a faith thing. Yeah. There's really no power in that handkerchief. There's really not any power in Paul. They're believing in the message that Paul has said. I don't, you guys, meaning I'm pointing to these two ladies here, you're way too young to remember Robert Tilton. Do you remember Ro Robert yes, Tilton? Sir. I'm too young for that. Oh, Lord. Oh, wow. Yeah, whatever. Well, Robert Tilton blinked his eyes all the time when he spoke, you know, and of course, if you're out in the, you know, radio land, you can't see that, but uh, he, bless his heart, did this. He would pray over his handkerchiefs, and he'd sell them to you. You had to give some seed faith, oh, about a hundred bucks, yeah. you know, back in the day, but you could get that handkerchief, and you'd, if you had a cold, it'd leave. If you had flu, it'd leave. If you had a back problem, it'd get wow. better, and all that neat stuff. Uh, that's a charlatan. That's what we call a charlatan these days, a false prophet. But back in the day, it literally happened. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, a chief of the priests, which did so. Now, so these guys are always willing to make a buck. They see what's happening, and they decide to basically uh, horn in on this opportunity. They see a way to make some money. And this is what happens. The evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know 
and Paul I know, but who are you? Mm -hmm. And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them. and That means that he whooped them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. So you, you see, we're going almost on three years now, and this thing just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Now we're fixing to get just, we're fixing to cross the line. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men, and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. They had a bonfire to end all bonfires. When I was a teenager, this was a popular thing to do with rock and roll music albums and such. Yeah. They, you know, a preacher would go and preach against it, and, and the teenagers would bring their, or maybe the parents would bring them, but nonetheless, they have a bonfire, and they'd burn all this evil stuff. Uh, and revivals broke out and things of that nature. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Aristus. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm so sorry. But he himself stayed in Asia for a season. And the same time there arose no small stir about that way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, you know that by this craft, in other words, building these idols, we make our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods, which are made with hands, so that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia in the world worshipeth. Now, we are running out of time, so let me just suffice to say that an absolute riot almost broke out. And the only thing that saved it from becoming utter bloodshed was uh, a another basically townsman that comes up and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you guys not have a legal way to bring these charges? Well, the answer is yes, you do. So take it to the law. Take it to the judge. Let him justify, let him judge what has happened here. And at one point he even says, we, because he's talking about Rome, we are in danger of being seen as someone that can't control ourselves and we're fixing to have the law come down on us if we let this thing turn into a riot. Well, basically, that saved the Christians' lives at this point, and it saved Paul. Paul got out of there uh, in the nick of time and the such. And so, in my humble opinion, this is, this is kind of my wrap-up of this Acts 19. I believe that it is important to understand the backdrop in the history of these people that Paul is writing to and then when you see the overwhelming detail of how one can know in Ephesians chapter 1 who they are and what they are now in Christ, you understand the level of encouragement that Paul is trying to give to these people because he understands the level of satanic attack and physical persecution that they have gone through. Now, it, 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 you and I both have the mystery topic for segment two, so if you, I know my topic, it's not going to take me no 20 minutes. So if we want to go a little further in this segment to get into Ephesians 1, then we can. 
Sure. Uh, well, I was going to say either we, we could do that or just wait until next week to get into Ephesians because I feel like it has a lot that we should oh talk my. about. Because, I mean, that was just the, the introduction. And Acts, or sorry, Ephesians um, has a lot, a lot of good things in it. So I don't want to I don't want to oh, speak through rush it, it for yeah. sure. Yeah, well, I, we're possibly not going to get done with Ephesians in this year of BRH because <laughs> there's a, a ton in it. Uh, it's very doctrinal and the such. Very well. So that so brings us if to... If I could just on this, uh, this pa passage and passages like it give me such hope for our time because Ephesus, if you know about anything about the history of Ephesus, it, it was a center of many different cultures. Yes. So at one time it was a Greek culture, one time it was Roman culture, one time it was, it was a Persian pot. culture. Yep. So there were a lot of different cultures that uh, centered in Ephesus over the centuries running up to the birth of Christ and then into the Christian church, its beginning. Um, so many different cultures, people from all different corners of the world, and they all become unified, not all, but a great significant become unified in belief in the, the gospel. Um, if this isn't a model for how we should reach this generation, the millennials, the illegal immigrants, the intellectuals, the rednecks, the... Well, and all he did all, was, all. was share his faith and answer their questions. You know, and he argued with them, but, but, but he answered their questions. And if they didn't agree, that's okay. He, he never attacked anybody. Right. He, he never persecuted anybody. He said, oh, okay, I mean, but, but you need to know what decision you're making here, you know. Uh, amen. Bre well, breaking it down. And um, like Uncle Gavin was saying, that it gives us hope looking back into Ephesians. Uh, some scholars actually believe that this letter, um, th the first part was actually like the name of the church was left blank, that it might have been sent first to Ephesus, but then they sent it around to other churches because other churches face similar um, persecution and troubles. And so this book is not just for the Ephesians, like the Ephesians definitely gained much from it, but we can gain just as much living in this current time with Be it. Because there's nothing new under the sun. Right. You know, we're all, we're all living in the same flesh, we're all facing the same struggles, the same temptations, and the such. Uh, amen to that. Take it or leave it? Take it or leave it, yes. So the next thing is the take it or leave it segment, and... We don't expect you to have one. I, I but tell if, you, if you come up with one, you're welcome. Okay. Yeah, I'm handicapped on this you're one. You're handicapped? Yeah. Why is that? Oh, so isn't take it leave it one last year? I said, I, I said, I, my mind just doesn't think this. Well, way. Oh, I, really? I was, I'm the same. I, I told Dad, I, was like, I don't know so what take it or leave it. What uh, blue is my favorite color? Uh, sure, take it. This is all making decisions because that's a no go for me. So, so take it or leave it. And and Emma, you heard about it, but you weren't here to see it. Uh, no resident in Franklin County would have been disappointed in the fireworks display that we saw Sunday night, especially if they knew the price that we paid. For it. <laughs> yes. yes. We, we got it. about $10,000 worth of fireworks for $4,000. And, and it, it's 15 minutes. And it had about three finales. Yeah, it did. Well, <laughs> like each segment was a finale, it Correct. felt like. Correct. Yeah. And because I, I told Donna, I said, that's got to be the finale. And it just kept going. And then it went and got said, well, that's got to be the finale. <laughs> well, and they did the Dragon's yeah, Breath the dragon's three times. Breath. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So wh wh we won't say the name, but one of our uh, church folks was at their house, and they can see this area from their house. And um, when she saw the Dragon's Breath go up, she had never seen that before. 
She called her mom and says, are you guys still alive? She thought we had all blowed up. <laughs> just, just Bethel went up and smoked. <laughs> Which with me, that's not out of the realm of possibility. Denise thought that they, the display had blown up. Yeah. When the first time went off, she's like, oh, that's it. Okay, we do have a take it or leave it from an audience member. Okay. Um, it says Ephesians <laughs> proves Calvinism right. That is a take it or leave it. Ephesians I'll proved Calvinism it. right. Yes, it is you from Benjamin it? Kingston. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love it. All this now you proves, know why you're not sitting up here, young man. All right? this proves is that the the statement the nut doesn't fall very far from the tree is not always accurate. <laughs> Somebody picked that nut up and threw him a long way. Chunked it. Yeah. Uh, we will prove later as we go through <laughs> Ephesians that Calvinism is anything but right. But uh, anyway, uh, if you're Calvinist, we love you. <laughs> but you're just wrong. So, um, mystery topic. Uh, are, does anybody else have a take it or leave it? Did you, uh, did you come up with them besides the color? Your blue is your favorite color? I didn't know that. Blue is your favorite color? Seriously? Yeah, Dad. Okay. I, sometimes I don't Now's even think you know me. Out, <laughs> we don't. You don't does know me. Does anybody know me? <laughs> take it, or, take it or leave it. Eve would have never ate from the tree of good and evil if she would have had a baby beforehand. There you go. Mm. I, I take oh. that. Mm. I, take I like it. it. That's how take it or leave it works. Yeah. You put it out there and you take it or leave it. Mm. All right. Anybody else? Okay. Mystery topic. Okay. So for the mystery topic, we're gonna choose with a, a spinning of the wheel, and it is just between. Myself and dad. And and praise the Lord, it's dad. <laughs> <laughs> good, because I got a good one. I have a good one, but I'm scared to talk about it, so oh, we'll save Lord it for hell. another time. <laughs> Controversy. And this one, honestly, may not last very long. It's pretty straightforward, but it's, it's got some good stuff. This is from John M Maxwell. I call him the guru. You know John Maxwell? Yeah. Uh, the guru of leadership. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to learn about leadership, John Ma from a Christian perspective, let, let me tell you just a little bit about John Maxwell. His first huge success was 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And, and I mean, the, the audacity to name a book that. 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Takes the, a leader. That's right. The Bible is not mentioned, for the most part, in the book. Every one of the leadership principles, 21, come from the Bible. He wanted business leaders to read it, so he didn't tell them. I got them from the Bible. Hmm. But when you look at the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership, there is just soaking with the gospel, soaking with humility, soaking with manly, womanly leadership and the such. So we were, uh, two Sundays ago now, we were as an advisory committee going through, you know, some of the issues of our association and trying to address problems and things of that nature. And Brian Mead just said, here, I'm going to send this to you. People change when. People change when, number one, they hurt enough they have to. That make, that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So when you're hurting enough, you change. You know, I, I mean, I've got that example going on with my diabetes. When my neuropathy gets, I, I change. I change. And, and it goes away. Hallelujah, praise the Lamb. And so when people hurt enough, they change. So they hurt enough, they have to. People change when, number two, when they see enough, they are inspired to. 
Maybe. Maybe? Okay. Now, for me, this, and you got to understand my how culture. You know, Ben Kingston's culture is church. My culture is preaching. I've been around it all my life. From day one, my dad's a preacher. Okay? So, I've completely changed. I can take you to just a few sermons in my life where I have changed because I was inspired. When they've been inspired enough, they see enough they are inspired. I think you would have to, in my personal opinion, just have to couple it with something else. I think you have to have the inspiration along with the motivation because I've been inspired to do a whole lot and then never actually complete it. We're going to talk about that. Uh, Number three, when they learn enough that they want to. So now this is education, continuing education. You know, you have to go through with veterinarian medicine. You don't. You have to prove to the state, don't you, to somebody yes, that you've had so many hours this year or you within a quarter. A you bet. Yeah. Uh, number four, because when they re- information is always changing. Knowledge, Correct. Knowledge is always increasing. Correct. When they receive enough that they are able to, maybe. So at yeah, this point, yeah. So four, it yeah, would go with the puts other. it all together. Yeah. So when I first heard this two Sunday nights ago. My thought was, can there not be an entry point to change on each one of these levels? Does it have to all be, you know, do you have to be almost to the point of divorce? <laughs> you know, and you, and you see another right. divorced family that comes back together, so there's the inspiration. And, and when you learn enough, you read enough books that you know how to put up with your wife slash or husband, uh, and then you receive enough money to pay off the bills that now I can change. What does it take, question? What Say, does it take? What does it take? Right, any, to start changing. What does it take to start are, changing? Correct. And, and so in my humble opinion, I think it takes any of the above. I think it can certainly be a combination, and maybe that's the slam dunk, you know, when you got all four things working. I have changed it with just one or two of these. Yeah. I think the first one is probably the most capable no of changing without anything else because pain is a great motivator mm-hmm. and something that I think everyone passionately avoids. A- amen. Uh, one church got it down to like three D's. Debt, divorce, and there was another D. Can't remember. But that, that usually one of those three or four things, a new visitor at your church has probably just experienced. And it's motivated them to, I, I got to go get some answers. You know? Um, and and uh, so... I just thought that was good. I, I, John Maxwell, so I'm not claiming any whatever. Uh, this is all on him. And um, I, I believe that it would behoove us as churches to find entry levels in each one of these and then train our people to be looking for opportunities to, when we see people starting to change, let's find out the motivation and then let's give some help. Yeah, and I think for us who are looking for those things also to have preventative like steps like for our own lives right to know that hey this is coming up or to see the warning signs of something happening that we like, yeah the oh, dash dashboard that. flashing yeah yeah don't on. don't do like they do in arkansas and put electric tape over that <laughs> <laughs> i got my guy's car he had an electric tape over where the engine flashing hey so you might want to go way. get that i just put out. my phone in front of it <laughs> so wait, you'd say those four are positive right so what are like maybe negative ones that aren't as healthy then? 
Oh, like negative. Well, so like the loss of uh, someone probably is or a negative. Or even like your motivation to change is a like it's not because you're inspired or because you recognize the pain or because you recognize that it needs to be a positive change, but like low self-esteem is a really good yeah. thing that causes things like people that. to change. Oh, so in other words, you're talking about negative change. Yeah, like things that yes. negative so, things so that cause change. Yes. Oh, I thought she was trying to say that people change to the negative because something changed. Well, you see what I'm saying? Change can be negative, I guess. Yeah. Well, so in other words, uh, they get around the wrong friends, and yeah. so they change. You know, um, such of that nature. That's just the blaze. But Larry, Larry says, "Man's law or God's law." Give us, give us more uh, info there, Larry. Uh, Benjamin, we already did that one. So, no, no, no. T text it in because we we got to be able to hear it. Text it in the the more. Give me more information on on behind your. Man's law so what, or God's law? Question mark. I guess the inspiration is that an athlete changes because he sees a championship that he wants. Right. Or he sees someone in a championship right. that he wants to be like. So um, inspiration can come from mentors or uh, contemporaries that you want to be like. I mean, if, if you see some positive aspects of someone's life that you want to enjoy, that, that, that would be a positive way. <clears throat> a negative wave would be, of course, losing. Losing is one of the best motivators to... The, the perfect example of my life is when uh, Megan was a little girl, we were in five Awana car races and never placed the first five years. That created a lot of pain in this father's heart. It, lit a fire. And, yes, it did. So, so and you went and bought a Dremel. Su subsequently, the the Hooks Dynasty started. The next yes. year, she, she, I think she took first place. The next year, I just started reading, started watching YouTube videos, started Pastor and Jeff uh, Watson. Yeah. And, uh, who always all won the guys in the Mayberries. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. And spying on their cars. Don't tell them I said that. I'm <laughs> looking at their cars and what they did. Running them on the treadmill for hours. <clears throat> that was Jeff Watson's idea. Yeah. So he said, just tre the treadmill, break them in. Just run them on the treadmill. Yep. So that kind of pain will motivate you to, to improve. And going to the people who've won, that's, people are successful. That, that's where you want to get information from for better change. Amen. We just started concentrating on the other trophies, you know. The designs. designs. <laughs> make, it, make it yourself, you know, the that's make it right. yourself. Ma point. That's right. Here's a coloring, a, a, a crayon. I was time. bribing everyone, taking votes, like, vote for my car. My car's number 18. <laughs> you, were, you were being a politician. All right, very good. Uh, we didn't quite fill out that segment. We'll, no, but, but it, we was, got it was close. pretty close. We're about three minutes short, so we'll just jump into the next break, which is the Mount Rushmore of Bible Teachers slash Bible influence, um, influ influencers. So, Emma, just Easy to explain to <laughs> this, if you could remake the Mount, Mount Rushmore monument with Bible influencers or teachers, who would they be? Oh, my. I'll give you a second to think about it. Well, while she's thinking about that, uh, Larry sent in not to bracket God's law on helping someone, even if man's law says you shouldn't, like in the time of Hitler, time of Germany. Very good. All right, so uh, I'm, I'll give you mine while uh, you guys are thinking. So these, this is the Mount Rushmore uh, that I believe I would put up of Bible teachers that have impacted me. 
uh, John MacArthur, Adrian Rogers, J. Vernon McGee, and Warren Wearsby. Uh, now, Adrian Rogers was not a writer per se. He did write some books, but he was more on the line of I would listen to his sermons on the radio. And, and there, he's got a he's got a national or international radio ministry uh, that I can't right now think of, but um, you could Google Adrian Rogers and it'd come up. But uh, that's how I was love impacted. Love worth finding, you mean? Or love, love worth finding, finding, yes. And so I listened to him as a college student and beyond. John MacArthur, of course, uh, if you don't have John MacArthur's commentaries, you, anyone would be blessed by them. J. Vernon McGee uh, and, and Warren Wearsby both have wonderful commentaries as well. And if I were to, to put these guys in tears, John MacArthur would be the most difficult, if you will, to understand because he does, he works from his own translation of the Bible. Whereas J. Vernon McGee is going to be the redneck approach, but it's real down to earth. Anybody can understand it. And then Warren Wiersbe is in between those two. Warren certainly can handle himself on the, the Greek and the, you know, Septuagint and the Hebrew and all that. Whereas I don't know, I'm sure J. Vernon McGee does have a, a basis of those things, but he doesn't dive into it very deep like John MacArthur does. And Warren Wiersbe does a little bit more than J. Vernon McGee does. So there you go. That would be my Mount Rushmore Bible teachers or influencers. Okay. Uncle Gavin, you want to go next? So the, the angle I came from was not as, a, as necessarily from a pastoral uh, viewpoint, from a secular viewpoint. And from where I came from, through secular schools, these men helped me apply scripture to my life practically. And I, I think that that was, I guess, a premium for me. I was right. coming out of college with um, a dinged up faith and uh, just wondering, you know, uh, the my experience in college really challenged me whether what I was believing was true or not. And these guys, I, I guess laid it out, laid the carpet out for me to return to faith and and have confidence in my faith. Uh, so so uh, Charles Swindoll, he just has a way of applying scripture to real life uh, in a practical way. Uh, it's probably one of the first ones. Uh, Ravi Zacharias, he, it, absolutely, he came from an intellectual uh, perspective and also a secular secular perspective. In his apologetics was second to none. I know his his end was controversial at best, um, but he, I there are some things that I took away from his ministry that saved me. Um, so Ravi Zacharias, Frank Turek, same thing. His book, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Second to none. Uh, that book specifically helped me. And then, um, sorry, forgot the, the fourth one here. Um, No, he's uh, he 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 brought the you know the practical historical part of right. uh, scripture. Um, I'll think of it here in a second. Yeah, the the but the Rabbi Zacharias, um, Frank Turek, um, and Charles Swindoll. One note I would make too on Ravi. <clears throat> I think it's important to do your own research mm. when someone or anyone in our world tries to cancel a Christian person. I think you got to be real slow to jump on that train. Yeah. And and one of the things that and, and you know you you helped me with this Gavin the what the family is saying. 
And, and when you read what the family is saying about Ravi, it's just hard to believe, even though there's a bunch of folks that are quote unquote saved. You know, we would have to get into the tall weeds of what their motivations are, you know, what their belief systems are, and, and, and you're probably not ever going to be able to accomplish that. You know, so then you get back to how do you judge? You can only really biblically judge when you know all the facts and figures. We're never going to know all the facts and figures. But this is one thing and we do almost know. Almost intentionally so. Correct. Almost intentionally there's no way Correct. to that they're, they're keeping the facts and figures so that we can't see them. Yeah. And so then you have to ask, well, then what about the body of work? Well, the body of work is overwhelming that, that he was the real deal. Now... Did he make some poor choices? Oh, my. Yeah, yes, but, on, but not on so much what he's being accused of, but some poor choices on his business. Associations. Yeah, bi- associations and things John of that John Lennox age. was the fourth guy. Say it again? John Lennox was the fourth guy. John yeah. Lennox. Yeah. Now, he was a Beatle, right? No. Oh, no, that's John but, Lennox. But he sounds <laughs> like one. one when he talks. <laughs> he, he does have a British uh, accent. <laughs> I'm messing. I don't, so I don't know that I know John Lennox. Uh, he, you should really get on YouTube okay. and, and watch some of his videos. He's okay. a contemporary of Robbie. Okay. Very good. Okay. Are we good? Uh, Emma, do you have uh, some? So I cannot speak at length like these men can. Well, that's okay. We don't really have the time, but so we're well, good. So <laughs> J. Vernon McGee and Alistair Begg are the ones that my Sunday school teacher mm-hmm. always pulled from, and they always enhanced our lessons so well. So those are the two that stick out first. The other one, I don't know if I'd call her a... Bible influencer. Her name is Melissa Kruger. She's an author. She has podcasts and books that just floor me every single time. She smacks me in the face over and over again. And the fourth one, I cannot remember his name. He wrote a book. He wrote letters to his dad, basically about his faith, and they put these letters into a book. And I cannot remember his name to save my life. It'll come to me afterwards. But that is one that that also very good. Good, good. Um, and then, so I'll run through mine as well real fast. I have John Piper in mind. I That's have heard him one. speak a few yeah. times. Calvinist. <laughs> yeah, Calvinist. <laughs> uh, um, I, I appreciate John Piper because of the intellect that he brings to his sermons, and, and I, I appreciate it then. <laughs> no offense to Dad. Um, yeah, right, right. But, so uh, <laughs> if you're not a Calvinist, you're not an intellectual. Right, no, exactly, we get it. We got exactly, it. Yeah. Lord, help. Uh, anyways, <laughs> I never get all so smart saying. that I can't believe truth. Oh, anyway, go ahead. No, I've never said that. <laughs> this is going to be fun. Priscilla Shire fun. is the other one. She's Whoa, the one. Priscilla Shire. Yes, 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 um, yes. She was the uh, main actor or the wife in War Room. War Room. Uh, but I've also read one of her books and another one of her devotionals, which is really, really good. Um, again, I just prefer, I like the way that she approaches things. Jordan Peterson, um, he might not be your typical Bible teacher or Bible influencer, but again, I appreciate the way that he approaches things um, and the <laughs> intellect that he brings. And he's not a Calvinist, so I just like smart people because I'm not smart. Um, and then John MacArthur as well. And for the um, New Age people, I know that Dad mentioned his commentaries, but he also has an app called Grace to You that contains all of his sermons from, like, I think forever, honestly. It, it has a lot of resources, and it breaks it down even into, like, um, Bible chapters. Like, if he preached on a certain chapter in the Bible, it would have all of the sermons from that specific chapter. So it's a really great resource. Um, okay, so I'm going to read. We had another text incoming from uh, Benjamin. There's a two-text limit, Benjamin. No. 
pollen. I got to break it to my dad. So high maintenance. Got it. Yeah, I got it. Okay, so this is kind of a good, it's from our past segment, but it's a good intro, I think, to our next one, which is change is inevitable, good or bad. Learn how to make everything a positive. God uses all change for a positive. In our next segment, we're going to be covering the first few sections, or hopefully if we have time, of this precarious moment. And it's talking about racial healing. Um, And change is something that um, America has been going through and needs to go through in a good direction this time um, in order for racial healing to begin? Well, so when you dive in here, uh, Galatians 3.23, uh, they, they start off here, uh, if, if you have the book, Racial Healing, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And this is something that, as Caucasians, thinking that we're helping our, whatever you want to call it, standing with someone that is not Caucasian, we will say, I, I don't see color. I don't see color. And, and I believe that is scriptural. And that's what this verse is trying to purport. In our identity politics of our day, they see that as a slap. And so you, you've got to be prepared for that. I don't think it's wrong for us to say it. And, and I think one of the worst things that we can do is when we're attacked on something, we, we, we quit. Mm. N- no, do, do not quit <clears throat> saying the truth. The, when you and I stand before God, he doesn't see, you know, a middle-aged or, you know, Short, bold guy? Short, bald, white guy. He doesn't see that. He sees... We're, we're one, a real thing. That's right. One, one of his creation. And, and, and he doesn't look at a woman and see her gender and the such. He sees one of his creation. So uh, basically they say here that the goal of this section is to enhance understanding regarding the sin of racism. Because that's what racism is. Racism is a sin. It's a sin for you and I to put a difference between someone because of the pigment in their skin. It's just wrong. Um, so, uh, da, 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 da. They, they mention, a, it's a pretty good axiom, anytime you talk about race, it's the longer you talk about it, the more you sound like a racist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so, and we don't, don't mean to not talk about it and not address it, but you can spend too much time on it too. Um, it can become a side sidetracked. Yeah, no sure doubt. Can. And because in its basis, it's pretty straightforward. There is no such thing as, you know, no races are above another, no races are below another. There's one race, the human race. race. And that's just the plain and simple fact. Right. And so when you and I have an opportunity to love someone of a different race, we should absolutely take it. Yeah. We should take that opportunity. Uh, So in paragraph one, I basically posed this, do you have to be a perceived part of the problem to be able to speak truth to the problem. No. You simply have to know the truth. Right. You know? Right, because they brought up the fact that there are two white guys writing a book and now they're talking about racism. And a, what do you a know common, about? A right. common topic or a common uh, argument doctor? is yeah. that as a white guy, you can't talk about racism because you've never been racially discriminated against. Correct. D- does a doctor have to have the diseases he's treating Correct. to understand them? Just no, you have the, to the know answer is no. That's right. He just has to know about it. Got to know about it. Uh, and hopefully, care. hopefully, he has a cure. Right. right. Care. 
So paragraph two, uh, however, this has become such a volatile issue and the First Amendment is no longer adhered to, uh, you on both sides, many of these discussions do devolve into a shouting match or worse. So according to David Barton and, and Jim Gallo, these are the sticking points that make this a very difficult discussion. I thought this was interesting. Whites accuse blacks of whining when they bring up the inequities in life or harken back to past historic injustices. Whites accuse other whites of pandering when they try to reach out and understand blacks on difficult racial issues. Blacks accuse whites of being racist when they speak against the practices, policies, or beliefs of black leaders. Blacks accuse other blacks of being Uncle Toms when they agree with whites or believe differently from the vocal black leaders in the culture. And I believe that's absolutely accurate. Those are the four areas that are, that are difficult. Uh, do you all know who Larry Elder is? Yes. Larry Elder ran against, well, he tried to be elected governor in California against Gavin Newsom. Newsom, right? Yes. But he, he was recalled. Yeah, and, and Larry mm -hmm. Elder is black. And he is called the black face of white supremacy. Right, right. So I, I didn't know that, but he said, he said that on Greg Gutfield's show one night. And I thought, good Navy. You know, how can a black person <laughs> be the black face of white supremacy? Right. You know, so anyway. Uh, well, and I think that just kind of sometimes proves that they don't always argue from logic standpoint. No, They're no. just trying to tag you with something that, like, when you see white supremacy, everyone avoids it because they know it's a bad thing. So if they can label you a white supremacist, even if you're black, then they got you picked. Like, you're down. And that's the thing about identity politics. It's not all positive from their perspective. They want to identify, whether it's with homosexuals or a particular race or abortion, they want to identify, but then they also want to identify you. You're, you know, uh, you're anti-choice. Mm -hmm. You're anti-black, you know, and such. And we've got to lovingly reject those. No. <laughs> No, uh, I, I'm anti-being anti-American, you know. Uh, I'm anti-being anti-Christian and such of that nature. Uh, so anyway. There's uh, only two distinctions, and they mention it in the book, that we're supposed to make. That's uh, right. Believers and unbelievers. Believers and unbelievers. That's yeah. the two distinctions that we have to make. And we, we even should not make that with vitriol, you know. You, yeah. you, you make it with, again, with truth. Interesting enough, the authors admit that they are aware that whatever they write will be vigorously criticized by someone, and it even caused them to wonder whether or not they should address the subject, but they say they cannot ignore this topic for the simple reason, God doesn't. And they called it, like you said, a sin of racism, and they, they laid it out, again, plain and simple, that sin yeah. requires repentance. So at the core, racism is a heart problem, and that has to be repented for. And how do they, how do they identify racism? What's their definition of racism? Do you have that in front of you? Yeah, I do. Um, the idea that one's own race is superior and has the right to dominate others or that a particular racial group is inferior to others. There you go. So one can be a racist by favoring their own race above others or by opposing another race. That, that's a sin. That's a sin. The Bible generally divides humans into only two groups, which Brother Gavin just pointed out. Uh, those that follow Jehovah God and those that don't. So God is not concerned with race, 
Science acknowledges all races on this planet share 99.99% of the same genetic materials, which means that division of race is largely subjective. God simply does not focus on the 0.01%. That was fascinating. Isn't it amazing that That's amazing. the variation in what people look like is the one one-hundredth of a percent, yeah. that, that we all look different, nobody looks the same, but it's all in that one one-hundredth of a percent. Yeah, and I think that is what people judge the most. Yeah, we well, judge of course on it is. the <laughs> least of us. Like it's the identity. Us, yeah. yeah. It's identity. Look at you. Is what we can see. Uh, but, 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 you know, we go back to that uh, Samuel passage when uh, Samuel was picking out the next king of Israel. And he sees the first son of Jesse. And oh, what does he say? Oh, this has got to be it. Yeah, got to be it. He's tall. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Strapping six foot. Lad. Six foot's tall for a Jew. <laughs> he looks at that guy and goes, "No, wait a minute. I think that's racist." <laughs> it is. It is. It's racist. But so, what are you talking about race? <laughs> yeah. Send your letters to what's your email address? No, no, I'm no, no, no. I'm kidding. So anyway, uh, the next son comes in, and he's almost as tall as the first brother. Well, this has got to be it. Well, all the brothers come in except David, and God says, hey, Samuel, man looks on the outside. God look, I look on the heart, and my king's not here. And so when Samuel says to Jesse, are these all of your sons? Jesse goes, no. You know, we got, I got one more, but he's in the field, and he's a short little runt. You know, he didn't say that, but that's what he was trying to get at. And, and in comes David, and Samuel knows. Zip. Is it? God looked on the heart. Uh, racism is the result of looking on the outside rather than the inside. The Bible openly rejects the notion of racism and its outward distinctions. Mm. So, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you're good. I was just going to kind of end us, actually, um, in with the last story because we mentioned, you know, color yes, being um, a thing. And so this section ends with a story from a marine, I believe, and we actually got a comment from. Oh hold on, oh, I'm going to have to. You do it. We got a comment in from it that um, is from a, a military service member, and he said that when I was in the Marines, we were taught all that um, we are brothers in the service. That's right. Um, and so, like I said, they end with a story from a Vietnam um, military. Um, survivor, and he talks about how he was um, in a accident with a, an exploding grenade that hit Phosphorus. his... um Right, yes. And it um, burnt right. his back, chest, arms, hands, and face. Um, the white-hot chemical coated over 37% of my body, causing severe third-degree burns. Um, and this veteran's name is Dave Rover, I believe is how you pronounce it. Um, and he just goes on to talk about how, because of this, he hated everyone. He became someone who did not like anyone. He was very um, depressed. He had a lot of self-pity, and that turned outward into where he hated everyone and everything equally. Um, but while he was in a um, hospital getting ready to be treated for something, another burn victim came by, and she was a black a woman, but she had been burned on her hands, and so her hands were pink. And she laid her burnt hands on his burnt skin, and they were both pink. And so he talks about how God, um, after all the race baiting and hated hatred between religions and politics and after the prejudices and cultural clashes, pink is the color of mankind, the unanimous likeness of all humanity created in the likeness of God. God is pink. 
Forever, I will be grateful that for that black woman who courageously crawled over the barrier of race to reach out to this hurting white boy who could not fend for himself. As she touched my shoulder, she began to pray, and two people of the same color, the color of pain, the color of hurt, the color of loss, bonded together. And so that was just a, a very powerful message. Um, that again, what we see is on the outside, and it is the 0.001% of us, and God sees the inside, um, and it, we're all the same on the inside. So this has nothing to do with nothing, except it's funny. So we're going to end on this note. I walked out of Walgreens last night, and I see this uh, license plate, and it just says pig, P-I-G, pig. Well, anybody knows me. I'm interested in pigs. I raise pigs. I eat pigs. I love pigs. So the lady's fixing to get out of her car. So I just wait. By my, I mean, we're parked right next to each other. And so when she starts to get out, she rolls the window down on the passenger side, and I said, I'm sorry, I've got to ask. Why pig on your license plate? There's this about 100-pound boxer sitting in the passenger side. And she said, that's pig. (laughs) (laughs) And pig, with this most undiscerning, almost annoyed look, looks over at me like, what? (laughs) I said, hey, pig, how you doing? He was not impressed at all. So, I All right, just awesome. Thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, remember to share this content on Please. Facebook. We will be posting regularly. Um, yes, the podcast will be up on Friday, and then it will be up on Facebook hopefully by next Tuesday. And so. if you'll like it and share it, you'll do us a huge favor. And if you comment again, that encourages interaction. So thanks, guys.